0: For the record, Roald Dahl writes some of the best children's stories out there. He doesn't need to be censored. He's better than most of the other ones out there, so please, I mean, just, that just has to be stated. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. A beloved children's author is getting censored. What is the world coming to? (laughs) (laughs) We are talking about... Rolled doll, and the question, and actually, <laughs> I'm putting the cart before the horse. Is he being censored? That sort of is the question here. So, rolled doll. In case it's been a while, or in case that doesn't sound familiar to you, the titles of some of his most famous books will be familiar to you, I dare say. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, James, James and, the and the Giant, the giant Peach. Peach,
1: Fantastic yeah. Mister Fox.
0: That yeah, there you go, fantastic, Mister Fox, which was which I think was brought again before audiences when the beloved, you know, when Wes Anderson made it. Oh right, yep. So yes, now also, if you've ever read any of these books, it's a good chance you've seen some of the movies. But if you've ever read the books, you'll know that they're a little bit different than your average children's book. They're kind of edgy. They're they're dangerous. <laughs> Bad things happen to some of the characters. They do contain occasionally insulting language, but one of the striking features of Roald Dahl's work is that it doesn't it doesn't talk down to children and it doesn't assume it doesn't give you a picture of a sanitized world. Did I'm you not get Big Friendly these...
1: Giant on your list?
0: Right. Yes. BFG? Yeah, the BFG. Yeah, okay. Yep. All right. So sorry. it's not it's not that these are. Of course, exceptionally cruel or nihilistic or anything like that, but they they don't give you the kind of sanitized vision of reality that a lot of children's books and children's entertainment unfortunately does so I think they're actually so I'm a big roll doll fan. I think they're actually quite refreshing. but that said, the publisher of doll's books is now changing some of the language, so I'll give you one specific example. Augustus Gluck from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is described simply as fat. He's now that word fat has now been replaced with enormous. And I believe the Oompa Loompas are now called little people. So In, there are instead subtle, of little, little men. Little, yes, instead of little men. So These. So some people there's there's quite an outcry from some people saying, look, you're actually censoring these books. You're changing the words of the author. Roald Dahl is rolling in his grave right now. Others no this is this is an attempt to be more inclusive and to eliminate some offensive and cruel language from these books, which could be especially harmful, you know, when it's being read to children.
1: Okay. So there so
0: yeah. So there well, you go. So
1: let me pitch in why I think this is interesting. So um there are some pretty exceptional changes, but it's interesting to me to watch there's a progressive backlash to this too, in the sense that, you know, I've even seen some people who write that are pretty far on the left side who would say, you know what? You're never gonna there's never gonna be a sense in which it's appropriate to read Steinbeck's of mice and people. Like it has to be of <laughs> mice are, and men. Yeah. And so all of this, yeah. like, we're gonna make it. I think in Fantastic Mr. Fox, instead of like one of the characters being attractive, um, she's smart or something like that. And they're like, what's, what's like, are you saying, or no, she's kind. So they're like, are you saying attractive people can't be kind? But then the funnier thing is, is like, so it's gone through this like sensitivity screening, but does it really make a difference? So let me, let me read you this. So you're talking about Augustus Gloop. So the 2001 edition reads this, a nine-year-old boy who was so enormously fat he looked as though he had been blown up by a powerful pump. Okay. So they took the word fat out and left enormous. So the 2022 version says (laughs) a nine-year-old boy who was so enormous, he looked as though he had been blown up by a powerful pump. Great flabby folds of fat bulged out from every part of his body. And his face was like (laughs) a monstrous ball of dough that got changed down to great folds bulged out from every part of his body. And his face was like a ball of dough. I mean, so over to you, Cameron, does removing the word fat there change anything in the description of what's actually happening with this character?
0: Well, no. I mean, obviously not. I mean, and it just so it it's superfluous on the one hand, and but on a on a more in, insidious note, I think there is an it's it's important that people like I mean, somebody of the caliber of a Salman Rushdie is even is coming mm-hmm. out and saying this is this is wrong. This clearly is censorship. Leave these leave these great books as they were and it's also worth pointing out as a side note that Roald Dahl is an interesting character. So as many writers. You could are,
1: critique him for other things other than using the word fat.
0: Oh yes. I mean if you if you read a biography of Roald Dahl, he was not an a, <laughs> not an especially nice person. Really brilliant and f- really brilliant but not very nice. In fact, one publisher, actually very prominent publisher and he'd made them a lot of money, dropped him because he was just so cruel with the, with their staff and their editors
1: mm-hmm. and
0: basically one guy finally stood up and said we're not going to take this abuse anymore Mr. Dahl so yeah and he also wrote quite a bit for adults by the way I'm I like a lot of Roald Dahl's grown-up stories as well he wrote a lot of horror stories <laughs> and, and well there just you go. an all-around interesting guy and in fact one, the the one film I think that comes closest to Dahl's vision would be Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory with Gene Wilder, and I remember that was so that was the first time I encountered Roald Dahl's work. And then not long after that, my mom read me some of these stories. But I would guess I'm not alone here. Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory is a pretty scary movie in some ways. Well, I was going to say, eerie. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm not just talking about the bizarre LSD. <laughs> acid trip tunnel scene which is inserted into the middle of a children's movie but really at the heart of it is how unhinged Willy Wonka actually is he really does come across as as a kind of madman and he's played brilliantly by Gene Wilder but it does it's no surprise though because the the screenwriter behind that was in fact Roald Dahl and the whole thing is peppered with amazing references to the romantic poets and you know, sort of obscure poems about fairies. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a very layered rich experience, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't talk down to you. It It's, it's a film that represents the world as wild and weird. But do you think that makes, is? well, I was going to say, <laughs> does that
1: make children's fiction more fun because it's more plausible if it's a little chaotic?
0: I think so, because I think the, the, the really safe or sanitized visions of, of children's fiction that are, you know, they're, and again, the, the intentions are are pure there. They're aimed at kind of, you know, again, making sure that this the child has a safe experience and enjoys. I mean, and I have two young children, so I, I get to see a lot of these sanitized visions in the form of television shows, and I just can't stand most of them. <laughs> but occasionally you get these wonderful exceptions like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, or to be honest with you, Mr. Rogers, if you actually watch Mr. Rogers, I was going to ask you goes- if
1: there were some comparisons here with Mr. Rogers, because he hits pretty thick and deep stuff head on as well as a children's program.
0: He does. And, but the other, one of the striking things about Mr. Rogers, as I watch him now as an adult with my children is that he also is he understands as so many adults don't for some reason that children are very earnest mm-hmm. they're real serious he doesn't speak to them as though you know in, in a silly voice and talk again it's talking down I, I think so many of us with the best of intentions when we we switch into ah children mode this is a this is a little bit less than a person and so we're going to be real silly and talk down to them rather than treating them as not exactly a total peer, but as a fellow human being, that's what he does so well. And yes, he, he doesn't shy away from difficult subjects. I mean, there's there's there there are episodes on physical disabilities. There's one on divorce. So mm-hmm. that's, and very, very different, by the way, I would say from <laughs> the show that has followed in his wake, Daniel Tiger. I'm not a fan <laughs> of, all of Daniel You stepped Tiger. on your own landmine
1: right there. Someday we're going to do an entire show that's 30 minutes of Cameron listing all the things he doesn't like It'll be great. <laughs> Here's Part what one. I don't like. Uh, so yes. Cameron, can I ask though, can I get a definition of censorship from you? Um, as you, th- I mean, you're the, the literary mind between the two of us here. Um, so, okay. So in James and the giant peach, the worm is no longer pink uh, due to the new edits. Cause pink, you know, I don't know. Is that like feminine or something? I, I don't, anyway, I don't know why the colors of the worm is significant. In fact, most worms kind of are. So, okay. In my mind, it's like, okay, this is ridiculous but is that yeah give me your give me your definition of mm-hmm. censorship because there's changing something and then there's not allowing something to be published or talked about what's the yeah, continuum there I, how should we think about that
0: yeah and being put on the spot here i i don't really have a very good concise definition of censorship so let me just think out loud for a second here and i think wah, <laughs> as wah, we move wah. forward probably, a better definition may emerge but i mean censorship involves obviously changing the intended meaning in some, in some way, shape or form in an effort. I mean, so yeah, it involves a, a change to the actual meaning of what a particular author or person was trying to get across. Sometimes that change can be very drastic. It can be removing an entire section or, or, or just, you know, it could be you excise something, take it out entirely. Other times, it's more subtle and insidious. You you sort of rearrange. And censorship is often politically driven or ideologically driven. And in this case, this is clearly politically driven and ideologically driven. So whole sections aren't being necessarily torn out of the book. But I would say this isn't, I mean, this is just as bad, if not worse. This is, they're just being subtly reworked and Words are being changed in order to convey a different message. So if somebody's if kind replaces attractive, that's actually changing the meaning.
1: Yeah. Well, is there, is there a sense too, in which we, once you get off of the author's original word and word choices, and to be clear, like by the time a book goes to publication and somebody is well-known as Roald Dahl, like each word is intentional. Like, there aren't accidental words in books. Um, Oh, this has
0: been through multiple edits. Yeah, this has been carefully refined. And and so somebody pointed out that... Somebody as painstaking as fastidious, yeah. (laughs) That there was
1: a change made in the um, the 1970s version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where Willy Wonka says that he got the Oompa Loompas from, like, deep, dark Africa. Mm -hmm. And so Roald Dahl made that change himself, saying, you know, that's not appropriate connotation, and now they're, like, fantasy creatures, or I don't know what... Um, mm-hmm. so, so he himself made a change that he saw was not, you no, know, not a good connotation there. Um, but once you get past the author making the change, you sort of open yourself up to this sense of like, well, what, like, okay, so we're rewriting it in a way that in 10 years might be offensive to somebody else. So it almost seems like you get in this continuous loop of possibilities of conforming things to. Okay. Let's say that attractive um, to kind, and then kind—it's hard to think. Kind means something different. But I'm just saying, like, is—is is there a sense in yep. which? And so I know, like, there's a slip, slippery slope fallacy where you say, okay, once you make sure. this change, all these other ones will follow. But this is one where I'm kind of like, yeah, but you're you're yep. skiing at but, this point.
0: No, you're not wrong though. But with when when it comes to cultural standards are frequently a moving target and yeah if you go if you go down that road you can keep making changes to bring something up to speed with current taste but there's there are so there are other reasons not to do that so for instance when you look at old old films particularly look at old cartoons many of the so Warner Brothers and some of these other companies have have chosen to put warnings which i think are appropriate if you so if you watch something like let's say Betty Boop you're go, you're going to see racist caricatures in these in these old cartoons and they'll they usually have a message just saying you know here's a warning you're going to see some offensive material in here we've not removed it because this is part of history actually and these were well not defensible these these were products of their time and we don't want to erase that we've we've actually we have something to learn from that Oh, okay. And, Hang on a
1: second, yeah. though, because this yeah. is where this gets real, because Wendell Berry would make the same argument for Confederate statues.
0: Yes, 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 he would. And there's and there's a very, I think, legitimate argument to be made right there. Yes.
1: Yeah. So uh, at at what point do we edit from writing or from culture things of our past that we don't like? And what is the future educational value of them? And... And this would be Barry also, is does removing that thing actually change anything societally um that actually brings Yeah, and real there's healing. not gonna
0: be a so, one size fits all answer here though. That's 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 so the the comparison that always gets made when you're talking about national monuments is to Nazi Germany. And they will say, well, of course, you know, all of those relics of the Third Reich were removed, so why wouldn't we remove relics of the Confederacy, for instance? But is that exactly the same thing, right? I mean, we're, we're looking at specific cultures. We're looking at specific imagery and iconography and the role that they have played in a nation. So I'm bringing that up not because I have all the answers there. I'm bringing that up to say that this, this gets— <laughs> I made that we, more complicated we're, we're in have hurry. To, I appreciate that. Well it it gets complicated yeah. and it's case by case in, in in some instances. But so for instance, do we take now again to to move back into the realm of pop culture. Let's take a movie like Disney's I forget when it came out. I think it was the nine maybe it was was it the 1950s Peter Pan. I don't Pan. remember.
1: I was yeah, negative so Peter, 30.
0: Peter Pan contains some extremely offensive and derogatory depictions of Native Americans. So, I mean, and it just goes on and on at great length. So do we, would it be, you know, is it is it the right thing to do to take that, censor, you know, censor it, change it so that we protect our children from that language? For instance, you know, the savage language. I mean, one of the lines that just always just smacks me in the face every time I hear it, I never get used to it is, remember, the Indian is is cu- is not intelligent but he's cunning. I'm just thinking goodness gracious me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, and, or I mean another example, I mean and you could just keep rattling these off and off. I mean, a- another film that people people just love even though it's my goodness. This film is a whole lot more edgy than than you realize until you rewatch it. But Breakfast at Tiffany's. I mean, there's some stuff in Breakfast at <laughs> Tiffany's, my goodness. But one of them is Mickey Rooney playing this incredibly offensive caricature of a Chinese landlord in that. I mean and that will also smack you upside the head when you when you watch that. Or the the movie the Dam Busters, the original, I think I don't I think that came out in the late 1940s or something like that. There there's a there's a black dog in in that movie and its name is the n-word i mean this stuff is just so okay you don't realize how much of it is stuck in our culture there so
1: when you have a piece of art and maybe we can we can broadly use the word art we're talking about writing we're talking about film we're talking about statues when you have a piece of art i guess the question is is it a fossil of our past or is it an influence of our future and maybe therein lies the discernment category of how it is that you want to use this in your own Mm -hmm. consumption or exposing your children to it. Um, does it, does it work for pointing back to a time in which we had, um, (laughs) ignorant views of our own, uh, prejudice about some things, um, or, do we do we say hey this is funny watch this this should inform the way that you think about native americans you know so i, I to me they're well it's not immediately that's clear that's a
0: really good way to yeah that's a really good way to ask ask the question nathan but another i think we're dealing with two very different mindsets here too though so if if you think that human nature essentially is what it is and it doesn't change then you can look at those, those relics of the past, some of which are very offensive as opportunities for growth to learn and also to, to instill the proper humility for us to recognize all of us, to a certain degree, are products of our own time and, and place, our environment. Not totally explained by that, but we are. And mm-hmm. we have our own blind spots, just as our forebears did. And there are things that our grandchildren are going to be appalled at In our own lives and what we've done or that's one view the other view would be no human nature is constantly evolving and we're moving more and more toward a state of of more and more pure enlightenment if you think like that then those relics of the past represent a serious threat they because Hmm. we're supposed to outgrow those it's an embarrassment now they should be yeah, they're embarrassing. This they should be obsolete. We don't think like that anymore. We don't talk like that anymore. We're inclusive now. We use inclusive language. We don't we don't say fat. We certainly wouldn't say I mean that's that's just incredibly <laughs> I, offensive. It, it's just
1: like, yeah, I, okay, so I I see that. However, all evidence is against that later view. I mean you, absolutely
0: you, I you mean, just I have you so have don lemon getting yeah.
1: getting criticized by cnn by saying that nikki haley is past her prime as a 51 year old woman and then everything mm-hmm. blowing up i mean like if you want somebody yeah. who's probably been through more sensitivity training um <laughs> <laughs> I would sensitivity imagine training that, yeah. that i mean so it's like we're just Protect we are not becoming from, angels
0: that's well, essentially yeah. no no. And also, yeah, we're not becoming angels. And despite the way, I mean, this is more of a side note, despite the way we, the ways in which we fetishize youth here, we're not going to live forever. It doesn't matter how much surgery and how, how much, how much time you spend in the gym, eventually your body does wear down and you will die. That doesn't change. I mean, the limitations of, I think in some ways you see any kind of, nod at human limitations is received as really offensive if you say well somebody's their age you know they're older they're they're past their prime or they're overweight or how dare you yeah i mean there there are some elements where we we of of our culture we, we just seem to resist you well, know, so the, yeah, the so, but here's, of but here's the danger.
1: Of, here's the danger that goes with this. And I've been thinking about this, reading several different things and, and thinking through some stuff is that there's no such a thing as a as a Superman or a Superwoman. Um, and many have pointed out kind of since like Macbeth, you get this vision that when you when you cross the boundaries of humanity and try to transcend them, you don't get a superhuman. It becomes a monster. And so it's mm-hmm. not like you can become a a superhuman. Um, if you cross the boundaries of what it means to be humans, you end up with monsters. Um, and I'm not talking like Frankenstein. I'm talking about people who do m- monstrous and atrocious things in the world mm-hmm. who try to go past that. So having clarity on the limitations is not just a... Um, it's a necessity for, <laughs> for your own personal sanity, but also for the safety of everyone else to have some, I don't, I, I guess I got us off track here on this, but bringing this back around then to how we, and this is a huge danger for the two of us. Like, let's say we do this for another 20 years. I guarantee that already we've said stuff that we'll look back on and be like, I wish I hadn't worded that that way. Um, in right. fact, I know that's true because some of you write to us sometimes and say, hmm, think about that. Say, hmm, yeah. Um, so th- the question is, to what degree can we, from where we're at now, judge people in the past? That's a little bit of a, the, the challenge that's also yeah. in, baked into some of this, too.
0: Yes. Yeah, so once again, if if your viewpoint is... And, you know, I, I've I've laid out two different views of human nature, and the way I've done so is a bit crude, and, and, and there's some over-generalization in there. So just... Hear me. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just speaking quickly because this is a podcast. But
1: and you again, don't want to offend me. I get it. Appreciate that. <laughs>
0: yes, but if, if you're of the <laughs> viewpoint that human beings are are getting better, the, the better angels of our nature are, are, are prevailing, so to speak, and we're becoming more enlightened. It's very difficult not to look back on the past with a sne- in, in a kind of sneering way, and with a sense of superiority. But if you start reading history wh- i mean any sensible and responsible historian is going to tell you how unbelievably rich of imagine of an imagination it takes to actually look back judiciously and try to step into the foreign mindset of somebody in a completely different place and time where the assumptions were not the same where the world was not the same now humanity is a universal category so we can put ourselves in somebody else's shoes so to speak it's really remarkable that we can do that it's almost magical but we can but the effort to do so will take real discipline and real training and humility because the nat- the default is to basically look at the past through 21st century eyes at this point and just judge people who came before you by all the standards of your own age and culture but that's an incredibly anachronistic way to look at history and
1: well but so there's there's a value to it to the degree that you learn from it so if you're doing that in a way to make yourself feel all high-handed and moral and righteous that's Mm -hmm. laughable however if you're saying like here's a well-intentioned person who is blind to certain things in their life. And you use that as a um, thing for self-reflection and for increasing your ability to care well and speak well of other people. Then, so we're not saying don't critically engage with it. We're, uh, yeah, I think I just want to make that distinction there that it can be profoundly helpful. But the reason that it's helpful is because the messed up parts of our past are still there for us to learn from. So, um, Mm -hmm our messed up past should not make us feel better about ourselves. It should make us feel more careful about what we're up to. So it has to be there for our growth. It's not there and it shouldn't be wiped away just for us to feel good about ourselves.
0: Yes. And I think let's, let's turn real briefly here to the, probably one of the central issues here for, and I'm, I think many listeners are probably thinking, why haven't they gotten to free speech yet? (laughs) But, (laughs) free speech is a very precious thing. And so this is, this is one of the reasons why I think the response, the strong response to what's happening to Roll Dahl's books is warranted. It sets a bad precedent. If you start taking these, these books, which are, these ones are, of course, esteemed classics for a good reason. They're great stories. And frankly, it just, it's worth just that the inner critic in me just wants to point this out. Roald Dahl's books, children's books, are better than, all, than most of them out there. They are. They st- they've stood the test of time because they're classics. They don't need to be changed, and they don't need to be fixed in the first place.
1: You know what this did? This just massively jacked up the price of used Roald Dahl books.
0: Everybody's going to oh, want yes, a, a pre-2022
1: copy of James and the Giant Peach. So go Absolutely go out there and did. invest now. No, sorry. I, I'm all right, back to your serious point.
0: Right. But don't we don't wanna I mean, but we don't want to change the works of authors and we don't want to monkey with with their with their wording. Because again, part of part of an education, part of learning, part of going into the world of reading. Involves the danger of encountering other viewpoints, many of which are threatening, many of and some of which are are dangerous. They are. They use
1: words like fat and pink,
0: scary stuff. Fat and pink, and then just to (laughs) to go to go a little further, I mean, I I for one am grateful that we have available to us Marx's The Communist Manifesto, for instance. Now, do I think that that is a potentially dangerous book? Yes. Do I think it should be should go out of print and be removed everywhere? No, but do I think also? I mean, there, there's room for a more expansive discussion here. Should should all all children read just any book? Well, no, of course not. There there is discernment that that you know, that comes in here. And I'm not saying, by the way, that if you've read Roll Dahl and you don't feel that he's appropriate for your children to read, that you're making a huge mistake. I don't. It, this depends entirely on on your children and the way you've engaged with this book. I'm saying I'm glad books like that are out there and I'm saying that when you become a reader and when you become a thinker it's an invitation to encounter to look at the world through eyes not our own to borrow phraseology from CS Lewis and that is a dangerous endeavor and so we do want to navigate with care but changing the words and and censoring the words and <laughs> to fit to suit the standards of a particular culture and age is a, is a very bad step i think
1: yeah it, it makes me wonder like is there a way that you could put um communist manifesto through a sensitivity training exercise and edit it to be a more helpful like so, so there are certain things that like changing a couple <laughs> words isn't going to change the overall um, and so I, I guess that's for me, like
0: proletariat okay, we, will be replaced by valued worker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you <don't>, okay. <laughs> you heard it first here, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get chat GPT to help us with this new publication, but you know, like some, okay, there's, there's changing adjectives. And then there are the constellation of those words in such a way that it crafts an overall narrative. That's just beyond the, um, cause, cause you and I would both agree that Disney could write, um, uh, produce a great children's film that has all appropriate words and a terrible message yes so so part of it is like what's the level at which you want to
0: (laughs) what'd you say they've done so in fact
1: (laughs) (laughs) so all that to say is like the level i I guess choosing our battles is part of this but the level of engagement and Mm -hmm. i was looking this up the other day and i don't know why there was a point in time at which it possibly would have been possible to have read every book printed in english like early 1500s You could have pulled it off in a lifetime.
0: Um, You you looked that up.
1: Yeah, but so I mean, just think (laughs) like there was a point at which there might have been somebody who had read all of the books. Yeah, just just think about that for a minute as an interesting Mm -hmm. thought. We so we're at least five hundred years past that time. Um, and so everybody who's listening, and you and I included, have to think very strategically about what we want to dignify with our mental attention, and um. That's a good, good a good project dignify with our mental attention. Yeah. Mm Kind of rolled out of my tongue there. Um, yeah, I think that's the project for us all, uh, to value the authors, even the ones that we disagree with, um, to be able to attempt to look and see arguments and ideas from a perspective that, um, maybe isn't ours or historically that we fundamentally disagree with is part of the value of an education. It's part of maturing to be able to clash your ideas with alternative ideas and then reason to why you want to be the way you are. Um, It's also a challenge to us, I think not to uh, read scripture with a censored viewpoint say, I'm going to skip over these verses because they irritate me and I don't think they're quite appropriate for my time. A little challenge to myself there as Cameron was, was uh, speaking on these things. So. All in all, I think, you know, in classic thinking out loud fashion, we don't give you, hey, here's what you should think about this. We're pointing to some things that should we should be cautious about, things that we should celebrate, but ultimately it comes down to saying, let's use a phenomenal about amount of discernment that we would grow spiritually and morally by interacting with some of these things, but never get into this false high horse, look down our nose, Um, judgmental kind of thing to say, I thank you, God. I'm not like that, man. Let's be those who beat our breast before the Lord and uh, approach what he wants to teach us with uh, humility. And then we can uh, be serious about what we read. And sometimes we can just laugh at the attempts that other people have to tie themselves in knots to try to get out of things that maybe we see aren't really a big deal in this world in the long run. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more
0: about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's T-O-L together.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.